Hey, it has been just a while. It really has been. And, um, well, if you're listening to this on the podcast, <laughs> it's been about two years, but I am also going to post this on YouTube. I went back. I remembered I had a YouTube channel. I just remember my YouTube channel days being just such a failure. It was frustrating. I didn't know how to edit videos. I felt like I froze in front of the camera. I was awkward. It just, it was just not good. None of it was. So what I'm going to do with this is I am going to splice. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm going to take this video and I'm going to upload it to my computer and I am going to remove the sound from it. My voice talking. Upload that as a podcast and then upload this as a video. And we're just going to see how it goes. I know that... Yeah, I'm truly, I'm 10 books behind. And I was debating on even making this because I'm going to be late. Today's Sunday. I'm going to be late to Sunday dinner. And I just feel like there's just a constant stream of things that I need slash should be doing. And um, yeah, so this might be the worst episode yet. <laughs> and you know what? It's okay because nobody cares. I just am doing this. And that's the whole end of the sentence. And I read this book. So this is um, Irving Stone's The Agony and the Ecstasy. And I read this book. I'm trying to remember. It was May. It was mid-May. I'm two months behind on books. And I have ten to do. So I'm like, there is no option. I have to record this today. And I'll try to publish it maybe tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, yeah, because I just get behind on things, you guys. Now, let us first discuss, um, actually, let me think. I don't know if there's anything really to discuss. <laughs> I was going to say, let us first discuss the title of this book. The Agony and the Ecstasy is perfect. That is a perfect book title. Let me say it again. The Agony and the Ecstasy. Like, incredible. Now, just based off the title... I don't think that you would know that this is about Michelangelo, but it is. I read this actually because Miss Miller in, she was a teacher, my art history teacher in, I think it was my senior year of high school. She says that this book is her favorite book of all time and her favorite artist was Michelangelo. And I loved that teacher so much. I think I'm going to try to minor in art history because of the way that she loved art so much, she just kind of gifted that kind of love to me as well. I'm not a very good artist. Actually, I'm a terrible artist. But I can look and appreciate art in any form, almost. Well, that might be too much of a blanket statement. But I do enjoy art, and I like learning about art. And I was in Europe, as I'm sure I may have mentioned in a couple of my past episodes. And... I was going to go to Rome and Florence, and I thought, what a better time to read the biographical novel of Michelangelo than before I get to his hometown of Florence and see his magical works there in Rome. So I read it. It is a bit long. It is 776 pages long. It was published, I think, in the 70s. Let me look here. Oh, no, I read this in June. I don't know if you 
if I've mentioned this before, but on every, am I checking? On every one of my books, I write how long it takes me to read them and like the dates. So I read this from June 13th to June 25th. And so there's that. Oh, so this was published in March of 1987, I believe. Yes. And it took this man, Irving Stone, it took him like an incredibly long amount of time. It says, the amount of material published about Michelangelo, and I'm, I say Michelangelo, but my art history professor of last semester and Miss Miller both say Michelangelo. So the amount of material published about Michelangelo Buonarroti is probably the most extensive of any single artist. Um, there are about 2,100 published works and only five of them are written in English. There's monographs, there's articles, there's diaries, there's letters, there's, um, yeah genealogies anyway so there's just a lot and I think that he did research on this book for six years before it was actually published and it honestly just follows the life of Michelangelo <laughs> sounds funny saying Michelangelo Michelangelo from when he was 13 years old and he was first accepted into a little um art guild I am pretty sure that's what it was. He started off in like an art guild, a painting. No, because art wasn't a guild back then. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's like the whole big thing. Um. Oh, look, I just opened to this page right here. It says that there are 12 guilds. Blah, 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 blah. What is a sculptor? This is him talking with his dad. I'm pretty sure he says, what is a sculptor? A sculptor. Lower than a painter, not even a member of the 12 guilds. It's a laborer, like a wood chopper or an olive picker. And then Michael, Michelangelo says, with one big difference. Oh no, this is Grenache <laughs> saying, with one big difference. The olives are pressed for oil. The wood is burned, um, burned cooking soup. Both are consumed. Art has a magic quality. Oh, art has a magic quality. The more minds that digest it, the longer it lives. So, anyway, Grenache wasn't his, um, his first master. That was Gierland, Gierlandiao, Gierlandiao. <laughs> um, and anyway, it honestly, like this book, I fell in love with it. The first half, at least. The first half. Um, up until he carves the David statue, incredible. It reads like a TV show. Like it, it is so good. And then after he, cause there's just honestly so much like the politics, the, cause at, in Italy at that time, it wasn't just Italy. Like there were city states. Florence was its own city state. Rome was its own city state. Um, Milan was its own city-state. There were all city-states and they were all, all at war with each other all the time over everything. And so it wasn't just Michelangelo growing up and making art. In fact, he never even wanted to paint the Sistine Chapel. He just wanted to be able to have the liberty to carve what he wanted to carve. He was a sculptor. He thought that sculpting was um, 
was the highest degree of art that there could be because like you look at a sculpture, you could look at it from 360 degrees. So it's like 360 paintings that come together and make the perfect sculpture. And he was a perfectionist. He, uh, yeah, it's just wild. Like reading about how some of these popes would like, I don't know, there's so much more politics than what you really think. You think that like, oh, he just carved the David because he wanted to, or he um, did all these things because he had a choice, but like, not really, because you have got to eat food and you've got to make money, so you do them off commissions, and then there's, yeah, just so much stuff happens. But as I just flipped to on page 92, God shapes the back to the burden. So there you go. Michelangelo's back was for surely shaped. And the way that Michelangelo thinks, like his brain, it is incredible. Because it, it talks about, well, it doesn't talk explicitly about how art at that time, like everyone would depict um, scenes relatively the same. Like the Pieta, you know, he totally revolutionized the way that Christ looked in that. Because Christ wasn't just like some... Anyway, we don't even have to get into like the art history of things. But like before that, Christ was kind of just like this iconic figure, you know? And he was this... And he always had like a halo over his head. And he was always like God, you know? And... In the Pieta, Mary, if you don't know the statue, Mary is holding holding her son just after he gets um, taken down from the cross. And she's holding him there. And he is just a normal looking man, which was revolutionary. And like you feel, coming off these pages, you feel how revolutionary it was. Um, this quote right here from somebody who sees the Pieta for the first time. Sorry, there is this fly. And I apologize also for the mess that's behind me. And I'm like, I still need a shower today. I probably look like garbage. You know what? It's just like we do what we can with what we're given. Um, so somebody sees it and says, you make me feel compassion for him. Always before I thought Christ was feeling compassion for me. So he just totally like his perspective, his take on things in Incredible. Um, oh, and this is also about the Pieta. There would be no halos, no angels. There would be two human beings whom God had chosen. And like that, to me, is beautiful. And it also talks about his love life, which is kind of not the best in the whole world. He lives for a moment with the Medici family, who is like the most powerful family for sure in Florence but maybe in all of Italy and um yeah there's just like such like a a power power struggle between like everybody at this time it feels like anyway um but that's not why I bring up the Medici family he uh I wouldn't say he falls in love but like he does love their um, the Medici, uh, it's not Lorenzo, is it Lorenzo? It might have been Lorenzo Medici, who's like the, 
one of the first Medici patriarchs. Gosh, I can't remember. This is why I shouldn't have waited two months to make this. And that's on me. Sorry, everybody. Sorry to myself, my future self. Um, anyway, there's this daughter named Contesina. Contesina? Um, and anyway, they... Yeah, when he first moves in with the Medici family, they like start to they start to like each other and you read about that and then they grow apart and she because she's the daughter of a very rich family is um what's it called when they make like an arranged marriage with another powerful family. Anyway, it's just a whole thing and he sees her every now and then throughout the book and yeah, just his feelings, you know. It's just kind of crazy. Um, oh, and here's another way that he revolutionized the things. The David statue. In, historically, before this, before his David statue, the one that changed everything, the statues, the depictions would always have Goliath's head, like, at his feet. And he decided to... Um, it says, the full meaning of David was obscured by having that horrendous head forever chained to his ankles. And so it says, without the reminder of Goliath's head, he might stand as the symbol of man's courage and his victory over far more important enemies. Like, it isn't just the head that he conquered. It isn't just it's Goliath's head. There's like, I don't know, Goliath's come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And he is just, like, he turns back to the Bible and he's like, let me see for myself. Let me see. It's like he's almost able to look at something and just make his own perspective, which is interesting because I also recently read a book. I think I'll be talking about it next time. I'm talking about something completely different. But it's like, are human beings <laughs> able to come up with their own ideas or is everything passed down from one human being to another and just all, uh, altered slightly? And uh, yeah, just interesting to think about. Anyway, I love how Michelangelo loves beautiful things. It says, this is a conversation between him and Clarissa, another one of his, um, his love interests in the book. Um, and they say, God invented love. This is beautiful. Could the devil be tempting us? The devil is an invention of man. There is no evil, question mark. And then Michelangelo says, Sorry, this was like a, um, a conversation between two people. I'm not very good at reading out loud. Um, but Michelangelo says, ugliness is evil. And there, the devil lies in ugliness. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah, and anyway, you can just also like feel of his faith. Like he loves God. He really does. Um... Sorry, I'm just like, I'm trying to read if I should <laughs> read the other things that I marked. The reason that I think the first half is better than the second half is because the first half, it covers, like, it moves at such, like, a, a predictable, not predictable, but kind of, a predictable pace of, like, his life. Like, you really get a snapshot of everything that's going on throughout his life. The second half of the book, he, like, goes and he serves in the army for a second, and... 
time just speeds up. It speeds up a lot faster. So the book starts when he's like 13. And it ends when he's 89. But I'd say in the middle is when he's still like in his prime. Like it only covers maybe like 15 to 20 years. And that's like when he produces most of his masterpieces. Um, and then, yeah, there's some drama with the Pope. I don't know. Anyway, because then this, the time just seems to speed up. And so it's harder to keep up with exactly how and what he's feeling throughout all of it. Um, but you still kind of do get a good grasp of what um, what's going on. I would definitely prefer the first half over the second half, though. Um, one thing that I'm going to end with, I don't even know how long this video has been. That's one nice thing about not videoing. I'm just shooting this on my phone. And the phone is propped up on a book right now. Um, this is another little conversation that he has with his brother. And it says, Have you ever lacked for anything? And Michelangelo says, My proper place in life. Yeah. Anyway, throughout the whole thing, he's never rich. He never makes a whole lot of money. He is just somehow always chained to the commissions that other people force him to do. He never gets like the the freedom of an artist to express how he wants to express, which is super interesting because if you think about like, imagine what masterpieces he would have made if he was just kind of left to his own devices. Um... But again, he took what he was given and he did the most of it. Let me make sure this is still recording. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> and um, the one person who I don't like in this book is his father. Hate the father. The father, so the, the Buonarroti family. And it's also crazy how all of this is real. Like I was reading this and then I was going out and seeing all of the works of art too. And it was like this actually really happened. And Irving Stone really dedicated six years of his life on like collecting and um, sorting through all of these um, sources to paint a proper depiction of how it was. But I could, and, like, it just blows my mind how it's real. Anyway, um, uh, I do not like Michelangelo's father. Not at all. The Buonarroti family had been around for generations and generations and generations, and they had always been rich. And then, I don't know exactly what happened, but the funds were kind of drying out by the time it was um, Michelangelo's father's turn to take over as, like, the head of the Buonarroti clan. But he always is just thinking about money and how to get back to their proper place in society and... Every single time Michelangelo got a commission, it was like, how much money are you being paid? Or every time he went to Rome and came back, it's like, how much money? Also, his brothers are so lame and loserly. Like, they would always ask him for money because they wanted to start a business. And Michelangelo would send him the little that he had. And then they would just, like, lose it all. So, I don't know. I can't even imagine what would have happened if he was given, like proper funds and a proper studio and 
Yeah, there's a part where he, and he was like almost addicted to the art that he was making. He lived in like this dingy, I almost said stingy, dingy apartment basement thing with a, a little helper boy. And it was in the dead of winter and it was so cold and the little boy gets sick and he just is working like in this tiny little room. And it's just, I don't know. And he's like making something that he doesn't even want to make, but somebody's making him make it because that's the person who gave him money. So I don't know. I'm sure Michelangelo is up in heaven with the God that he loves. <laughs> Carving out incredible things. Can't wait to see him, honestly. And yeah. Yeah, the other thing that I did like about this book too is that at the end, there's a, a list of all of Michelangelo's known works and the lost ones as well, ones that we know for sure are lost. Just crazy. Crazy, crazy. I would recommend this book. I really liked it. I It's long and it is about Michelangelo and art. So if you have like a basic grasp of who he is and who his works are, I'd read it. Honestly, like you will not be disappointed. Miss Miller was correct um, in saying that this is a, a fantastic book. So shout out her, Miss Miller, if you ever somehow stumble across this video. Just know that you've changed my life. Um, and anyway, I think that's all that I have to say. So ciao for now. And uh, I think the next book, I can't remember for sure. I'm going to have to go and look. But uh, yeah, come back to this YouTube channel if you wanna. You don't gotta. I'm not going to edit it. That's the other thing that I decided, that I decided to is like, if you look back at my past two videos, oh, they're just horrible. And I would like try to insert like clips and pictures and make jokes and edit it. I used the... Uh, Da Vinci, Da Vinci Resolve. I don't know how to use Da Vinci Resolve. <laughs> so anyway, that is all. I will be talking to you hopefully pretty soon. I need to, I need to start because once school starts, it might be game over for me and it starts in about two and a half weeks. So anyway, ciao for now. Talk to you soon.